Like we right. know that pharmaceutical inductions have risk factors. Um, the, it doesn't, they're, they're still there just because you use a different means. You might have slightly less because you don't have the side effects of said pharmaceutical, but you still have the, the very real potential to be causing distress on an infant that was not ready to come out. Holy Wild's Birth is a podcast embracing the reclamation of giving birth rooted in God's original design, undisturbed. Here we share homebirth stories highlighting God's presence as the great midwife, as well as conversations about all aspects of a holistic, spirit-led, childbearing year. From the perspectives of myself, traditional midwife Lauren Hall of Rooted in Eden Private Contract Association, and me, holistic doula and birth keeper, Brooke Collier of Sister Birth. To choose a holy, wild birth journey is to consecrate all your decisions unto the Lord. And to reclaim creation, unadulterated by centuries of human attempts to control and improve upon what God has already called good. Please remember, birth is not a medical event, but a natural process. We are not your care providers, though, and this should not be taken as medical advice. Welcome to the Holy Wild Birth Podcast. Today, Brooke and I discuss the slightly controversial topic of quote-unquote natural induction. Um, and our stance on that, as well as um, the temptations, uh, both external and internal pressures, we share our stories um, of personally encountering these, quote, natural inductions, and really just to find out that that is an oxymoron. Um, so I hope you enjoy this conversation and find it stimulating and encouraging and um, looking forward to the end of this podcast where you hear the plot twist of what a truly natural induction looks like. So uh, I hope you enjoy. Hi, friend. Hello. Hello. Ah. I love this time. I love seeing your beautiful face and getting to come and chat on all of our favorite things to chat about, Jesus and, and birth, right? <laughs> I know. It's nothing better. <laughs> I also so, love seeing how often our clothing and our glasses and our hairstyles match when we get on here. <laughs> oh my goodness. I hadn't even noticed. That's hilarious. Um, it's not, not even planned. Yeah. That's great. We're wearing uh, the same colors today. Yep. Oh, <laughs> same yeah. Right. Anyway, so today we get to talk about yep. induction and natural induction specifically, and we're calling or, or the unnatural, unnatural induction because for reasons we will get into. It's such, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's an oxymoron. That's why <laughs> it's such yes. an oxymoron. We can have a natural means to induce a baby but we cannot have a natural induction because an induction is by definition not natural. It is an intervention causing the body to do something it was not doing. Um, 
and wasn't ready to do. And so it's not, it's, it's the absolute opposite of natural. So uh, today we're going to talk about yeah. whether that's a thing, whether it should be a thing. And um, yeah, if you're, you know, like if yeah. you're going to call it an undu- a natural induction, like, I don't know, call it an, an at-home induction, a non-pharmaceutical mm-hmm. induction. Um, yep. It is not, it is not a natural induction. So. Yeah. No such um, thing. Yeah. But, but in order to kind of demonstrate how much we understand the temptation. Yes. To go that way. Lauren and I both have stories to share. Because <laughs> um, I, I think there's so many reasons that people um, f- end up seriously considering or attempting natural, so-called natural inductions. Um, and it ranges mm-hmm. from like, just to give like categorical reasons. I think a very common one that we see a lot, especially since midwifery has become licensed and regulated, is that looming 42-week cutoff. Like if you get 42 weeks, your midwife will abandon you, but not by her choice, but because she has to. And then you will be stuck having to give up your home birth dream. And that pressure is incredibly real. Because often when we're home birth, is the last place we want to be ever is the hospital. So we will do anything (laughs) almost to avoid being there. Um, and then, but let's, let's be clear that that pressure to like have your baby by 42 weeks or else you have to go have a medical induction um, without your midwife in a hospital is a trickle down effect from the medical mindset, which essentially peddles this lie that your placenta is going to fail. It's going to stop doing its job at about that same point possibly right. sooner. And so you yeah. are like a ticking time bomb of Sometimes your baby's death. To your placenta. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like somehow the body's going to send a memo to your placenta that, Hey, we're now 42 weeks, even though our due dates are not at all accurate. And like, we know that they're estimated due dates and we know that. And most of the time these, you know, it's like, do you, are you accurate on your due dates or, Oh, we're just using our LM- LMP. Okay. Oh, we're using a date from an ultrasound of, you know, 24 weeks. Okay. You know, like they're not accurate. Mm -hmm. So why is this, why are we hinging everything around this estimated due date as if it's accurate and therefore you actually are 42 weeks? Like that needs to be a question um, as well. But yeah, I have Mm -hmm. a lot of personal vest in this particular, um, reason quote unquote mm-hmm. if you can't you can't see me my my little bunny ear quotes <laughs> air quotes, are up, yeah. you know air quotes um you know that external i'm 42 weeks i have to quote unquote get this baby out um before i was ever a birth worker you know i was a bit, very much a birth nerd wanted to have um you know i was very much i had studied birth a lot but i was not um, in the birth field at all. And I was under the must birth by 42 week regulation by my, my, my licensed midwife. So my first home birth and I didn't have, which is a very different mindset then. Um, and the only thing that was important to me at that time was having my home birth. This was my third baby. I had fought to have this home birth. Um, there, there was circumstances around, my relationship, my, my, um, first husband and, 
you know, I was like, I couldn't have a hospital birth because of, of what he said. And so at this point it was like, I am having my home birth. I have had two natural, healthy births. I'm doing this end of story. Like this is what is happening. I was just determined at this point. And, um, we had, I had always gone over dates. And so we had even like fiddled with the date a little bit. So I actually carried her to 43. Um, but on paper and in the charts and all the things I was 42 weeks because, because I didn't have, I had had like one period. We didn't know. We had no idea how we were. Like I had, um, just gone from, uh, one menses postpartum and then gotten pregnant. And so I didn't know when I ovulated, like there was mm-hmm. no starting so going calculate. on. There was no, you know, it was those weird first, you know, first minstrels, you know, it, there was no, no, yeah, like, they're no never way. like your standard length and, or yeah. Right. Yeah. So we didn't know how long I was. And so she was like, okay, you have a history of carrying your babies late. Let's, you know, we'll, we'll, veer on the gray side of giving yourself some some things so but by like my original calculations I was probably 43 by her calculations we had put it down at 42 um but we're coming up on that and um I was 41 and four and like nothing not you know like I had had a handful of prodromal but I'd always had a history of prodromal labor and, you know, it was that, like, I'm going into labor. Nope, we're not. I'm going into labor. Nope, we're not. You know, and I'd done that a couple of times. I mean, enough to where, like, we had called the troops in, right? And, like, and then it would just stop. So, like, we thought at some point that my body might be ready. Um, and I felt the emotional toil of, like, my body's not doing what it's supposed to do. And I just yeah. want my home birth. Like, so I get it. I get the understanding of the emotion that comes around and your midwife is like, I have to drop you and you've been fighting for this home birth. And, you know, like, and, and yet I still, even from that experience, honestly, I'm like, this is why inductions are not okay. Um, so I get into this, you know, rhythm of, of just like tug of war with my body and whether I believe that my body was designed to do it and just really wanting my home birth. And I had gotten to the point where I was like, even if she drops me, I'm going to, I'm just staying home. Like that was how I had this piece that I knew. I decided for myself that even if she dropped me, I was, I didn't care. I was going to have my baby where I need to have, you know, where I need to have my baby. Um, and no one else in my life was comfortable with that (laughs) at all. So there was not any support around that idea. Um, and she, uh, brought up doing castor oil and then doing homeopathics. Um, and we did, she, she was really of the mindset that we needed to do castor oil in order to make the homeopathy work, which I would not say was, is an accurate, um, to how homeopathy works, but that was how she, you know, thought we needed to do it. And so I did, I, um, ended up, I think it was at Friday, she stripped my membranes. We did the castor oil and then she put me on a homeopathic protocol. And, um, you know, I started having regular contractions. I started laboring, labored all around, walked around the, um, 
the stores and I remember walking through Best Buy because it was near her house and I don't know. I was like, I remember laboring through Best Buy for a while. And um, <laughs> we finally like, it kind of got to where it was like, okay, this is doing something. Um, and we got home. But this is a long, like I ended up having to cut the short, the story short. I ended up having a 72 hour labor with her. And homeopathics so worked. So long. But it was so long and it was so exhausting. And my body was not at all ready for it. Um, and we ended up having to do some real manual things to my cervix. Like it's a really hard, hard mm. full story to tell. Um, not emotionally, mm-hmm. but just like, it's a hard story to listen to. And um, I did learn some really cool things about my body in the midst of her story. And um, there is a lot of saving grace in that. Uh, it is the story I say that, you know, really set me free from that abusive marriage. Um, but mm all of the point of, so there is some beautiful things that come out of this story, but to stay on topic of this induction, um, (laughs) 72 hours of labor, we forced her out. She actually, you know, she arrives, it worked. Um, but she measured 38 weeks. Like when you Mm -hmm. measured out, you know, she's covered in vernix and her, her fingernails and, you know, and just all, it was suture and all the things, all the lines on the palm and feet. She was a solid 38 weeks. And um, mm. if it wasn't for that situation of being afraid that my midwife would have to drop me, um, you know, it was she would have stayed and I probably would have been like carrying her to 44, 45 because she wasn't she wasn't actually that that far along. Um, but just how paper she was with your best guesses, right? With our best Mm. guesses. And I had such peace that she was fine, but it was all this external pressure telling me that it wasn't. And really that she, she matched out for all the, um, you know, we kept checking on her and she was fine. Like there was never any warning signs. It was only on paper. My midwife had to drop me at 42 weeks. Um, and that was, that was, it. that was the reason that I forced my child out before she was ready. And that bothers me to no end. Like it really, that I pushed her, um, and we can get a little on the woo side and be like, look how like hard it is now. When like I, um, she, she really pushed, like, if you try to push her to do something, she shuts down. <laughs> like if you, you know, like there's so much like encouragement and like, coming alongside and really, really, truly supporting and putting away any kind of like impatience or frustration. Because if you get that way with her, even a, even a hint, like not like, oh, you were being impatient with her, but like even just a hint, she completely shuts down. And you can't tell me that there's not like wounds from that because that's just mm. my belief systems. But I, I do, I think it affected her. And so, and it is, and for what? And for why, you know, like, um, so if I were in that situation today, um, I think I would have, I would, I would have just gone and assisted at home. Um, but I know that that's not an option for everyone. I know that that's not, um, family situation, comfortability situation, whether you feel like that's okay for you or not. I think most people are like, they're transferred into the OB and they think that at that point they have to be induced because, they've hit this 42 mark that their midwife can't serve them. So they've now been transferred in care. 
you get to decide one if you're transferred into care. You're you're you have risked out of your midwife's regulations to care for you, but you don't have to be induced unless you choose that. You still get to go to you know stay home or even go into the hospital if that's where you feel more comfortable with what's before you. You know, there's also finding an underground midwives. There's also like talking to them. They understand finances. People understand that. They can work out payment plans, those things. Like, don't just assume that mm-hmm. there's not any other options. But if you end up, yep. you know, after going through all of the other other possibilities, um, if you end up at the hospital, you can still go in in spontaneous labor and say, no, OB, I'm not going to be induced. I believe, you know. If you feel the need to check on baby, great. Baby's fine. You know, do a biophysical profile, do an AAT, do whatever it is that you need to find that piece. Um, But only because you need to find that piece or because you are willing to afford that to the the OB you're now sitting under. Um, But you can still go in. They can't induce you without your consent. So Mm -hmm. you go in in spontaneous labor if you're at peace and you feel like your baby's fine. But, you know, like... Above all else, you are a child of God. You are a daughter of the King and, you know, the giver of life. So when you're making decisions, you move only in the peace that he gives you. Um, And sometimes I will say that might mean induction for some people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I am not going to be an idealistic to say that that's never, ever the right answer. Um, Right. I would say, like, you know, it's very, 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 very rarely the right answer. Um, but you know, mm-hmm. that's, uh, and, and, you know, like, we're not even talking about like medically, we're not, ta- you know, like there's a, a, a time and a place for a medically needed induction, but it's just so rare. It's just very, so incredibly rare that it's almost easier to say it's never necessary. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't yeah. live in a black and white world. So. Right. And we can't get dogmatic about stuff like that because right. it's true. Like sometimes the spirit of God might lead you to do something that yeah. you and your, in your, your own thinking brain and your own ideas and philosophies might never have wanted to do. Right. <laughs> but there's some reason for it that right. you don't know. And right. being obedient always trumps being idealistic or dogmatic. <laughs> but I'm so glad you bring yes. up all those, those other options because it's so true that when you're in that situation, where you know your midwife's going to drop you if your labor doesn't start by a certain hour. it Your brain can really so much go into, I think, survival mode, like fight or flight mm-hmm. um, or freeze. And it's hard to remember that you have additional options besides just take it, go to the hospital yeah. and get induced that day. Right. So I yeah. love that you bring up, like, you can pause. It's okay for you to say, okay, I see you're dismissing me from care. Um that I'm not going to go to the hospital today though. Yeah. I'm going to stay here until I feel like it's time to go in, whether that's in natural labor, spontaneous yeah. labor or um, before then just to check in. Right. Yeah. Um, or I'm going to assess. Yeah. You don't options. even have to transfer to um, OB care. You don't you have to. to be rushed or forced into anything. <laughs> right. Um, so <laughs> I don't know. So remember that <laughs> listeners, like if you're in that situation, it can be hard to remember stuff like that, but you do have other options. And it's always a good idea when you feel pressured to just pause and take a beat and pray before you take any next step. Um, because under pressure decisions yeah. are rarely the best ones. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, that your whole story so illustrates so nicely have... that 
I see that conundrum all the time, like in natural Christian home birth group. What do I do? Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm 41 and four. And if I don't start labor in two days, my midwife's going to drop me and you can feel the panic. Um, yeah. And just in their and words, then people different. are chiming in with all these ideas of like, try this, 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 and this. But like, we all know ultimately babies come when they're going to come. And mm-hmm. um, it, it makes me both well, resentful the thing of that I... the system that creates that kind of pressure, but also like, yeah, it's mostly the system. I feel so angry about it sometimes. Like, why are we doing this to people? <laughs> right. I, I do. I feel the same. But you're way. not a victim. And I really... Yeah. You're not a victim. That's great. It's such an important thing. Like you cannot be, um, you get to decide, like you still get to decide. You don't, you know, your midwife gets to decide that, that she can't serve you. Um, and really, honestly, I don't even want to throw, like, that's how they have felt they need to serve through licensed regulation. They feel like that's what has helped them be safe in their practice. And, Um, That's a whole other conversation, but like, that's what they're bound to. And, you know, most of these midwives, I would say they don't even, they, they don't like it. They hate that too, that they're Mm -hmm. having to put you in this position. Um, And they just kind of have their own, like, they don't, they don't have another way either that they feel safe doing. And so they're in this like rock in a hard place um, space. And so it's not even, it's, it's literally the system. It's the, you know, the licensing regulation system that has decided that, that you can't go past this date and have a safe midwife attended birth. So pushing people into unassisted births or, um, you know, these spontaneous, like, I'm going to just show up at the hospital when you're not, you know, without having a relationship with the OB, you don't have like a, a safe setup of like knowing where you're going to give birth, you know, I guess just not, and I mean like emotionally safe, like this, like, yeah, yeah. I don't feel safe because I've never even been in this space and now I'm going to have my baby in mm-hmm. this room I've never been in, you know, like all of that, like it's not a holistic view because they're not holistic not providers. All. So, um, and even though I regular- love free birth, like I never think it's ideal for a woman to be choosing a free birth only because she's up against a wall and feels like right. it's this or right, like yeah. walking into a re-traumatization in the hospital. You know, like that's not, that's not an ideal yeah. posture or position going into free birth. So exactly. Like just birth works. All around. <laughs> exactly. Birth works. It's designed to work. It, you know, it should work. But when you have all of these other pieces of like, I don't feel prepared. You haven't done that inner work to have an unassisted birth. There's not the like, you know, yeah. if that, that preemptive work hasn't been done, I mean, it does leave you in a situation of like, you know, you shouldn't have to be in that level of fear in, right. while trying to give birth because you don't actually feel comfortable having an unassisted birth. Like that's not, that's not fair either. So, um, yeah. So that's kind yeah. of like all of the the external pressures, I guess not all mm-hmm. of them. Um, you know, there's definitely others, the external pressures of things like baby's too big or the new one of the fluid is too low or, you know, mm-hmm. all of these were just, you know, not quite or sure. Or your placenta is dying. <laughs> your placenta is dying because you're 42 weeks and you're, yeah, all of these things um, that really don't, take into consideration um, the body's wisdom and what's going on and how like 
is it truly, you know, medically necessary? I think we've finally gotten to the point where most people realize that you can birth the baby that you grew. Um, and the, and the big baby inductions seem to, at least in anecdotal stories, I think have gone down, um, at least in the home birth community of like, okay, that's not a reason to induce. Like, I feel like that's kind of a well-known, but now the new one is like, oh, my fluid is low. And, you know, (laughs) it's like by ultrasound, can it really be measured well that way? Um, You know, a low, a low fluid, you're going to see the outline of that baby when you look with your eyes, like low fluid, you're going to see, you're going to feel different. Like it's not, you're not going to be able to do the, um, the, I always forget the name of it. The frill test, the trill test where you can thump and feel the, the fluid moving through, um, I always forget how, what we call that, but um, you know you can test it manually too and see and feel is there enough fluid for this mm-hmm. baby to move around like and it and it's also replenishable like so like if it's low, what are we doing that can yeah. actually fix the real issue versus getting the baby out like let's go down to yeah. the root causes of what's happening here, um, mm-hmm. but so that's like all the external and I would say that. If there, you're feeling like there's a medically necessary reason, like if you're coming up with, well, I need an induction because of X, Y, Z, and there's this kind of logical front brain reason, um, and you really are needing an induction. Okay, let's go there. Maybe you're, you've got um, ICP. Severe you know, pre-E. Maybe there's, right, severe pre-E, you know, all of these things. And we're talking about induction. Um then really you don't like at that point, if you need a medical induction, you're needing to be in medical care. Like it, like that's not something to be doing at home. If you're doing an induction, there needs to be monitoring of the baby. You're doing something that is not, you might be using natural means to do it, but that doesn't mean that the body's response is natural. So Babies need to be monitored in those situations. Moms need to be monitored in those situations. We can start, you know, giving out these, you know, midwife brew and homeopathics and tinctures and and the litany of things that you can do that really will um, force a child out. But you're now doing something very medical. And so you can't take a natural quote unquote induction and put it in the same home birth box and then say, well, birth works. It's designed to work and I can trust birth and all these things. Like you're now in it. You've now medicalized your situation. So it's very much a concern Mm -hmm. to me when I see all of these, you know, well, you can do this and you can do that. And you, yeah, you can. Um, Are you going to be checking in on your baby every, you know, so often? Are you going to be listening to heart tones? Do you actually know how to listen to heart tones and interpret those heart tones? Because it's not just a number of like, oh, I heard one. Like, we're looking, listening to variability. We're listening for D cells. You know, we're listening to how it is matching up to your contraction pattern. Um, There's a whole like training that needs to be going on to just be taking black and blue and, you know, hoping for the best like that's a concern like i am actually bothered um Mm -hmm. because not just because you're stepping into uh induction but that you're stepping into induction without training to watch for the the risk factors that you can now be creating like we know that pharmaceutical inductions have risk factors um 
it doesn't, they're, they're still there just because you use a different means. You might have slightly less because you don't have the side effects of said pharmaceutical, but you still have the, the very real potential to be causing distress on an infant that was not ready to come out. And they have their reasons why they weren't coming out. Um, you know, not to mention like why it often doesn't work and why inductions don't typically work is like the oxytocin receptors aren't present yet. Um, to be received. So then you're just pushing on this, you're causing contractions without like the hormonal picture present. So it's not really working. You're putting baby in distress. Like there's some real risks that, that is not talked about when you're on your Facebook group, getting this panicked (laughs) information of I did this and I did that. And like, great, that worked for them. But is your midwife present? Are you going into the hospital? Are you doing this and then heading into the hospital? Are you going to tell them what you used? Are you familiar with whether you can use that herb with if you have hypertension? Like, are you familiar with the the counter, you know, indications with your pre-E issue and the herbs that you've chosen to take? Like, there's a lot of a bigger picture here. And it's not as simple as, um, you know, like, if you're you're stepping into a medical reason to induce the baby, then you need to realize that you are in a medical situation, um, and birth is not a medical event. But if we're if there is a medical event happening, then you, you know, like, are you still comfortable doing that at home? Like <laughs> that, I, I'm not. I'm not yeah. cur- currently. I'm not. I don't do medical events. I don't. You know, like that's not what I do. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of my spiel on that. Yeah. Like let it, at that point it's like, just let it be a medical event because it's, it has transitioned into that. Right. (laughs) And and we all say like we give lip service to the idea that I'm so glad hospitals are there for the rare occasion when we need them. So in that case, you've become one of the rare occasions where they're needed. And so can you surrender to that and and let that be your story this time, you know, and even though that's hard and there's grief around that for sure, we truly are glad that it's there for the rare times when we need it. And right. So let it be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And let me, I just want to say something about the, um, the stillbirth risk. Cause I feel like that, that fear that like, if I go too long, my baby's going to be stillborn is a really yeah. real external pressure that also becomes internal. Yeah. Um, so if you look, you'll hear people say like your risk of stillbirth doubles at 42 weeks. And if you look at the actual numbers, it goes from two to three deaths per 1,000 to four to seven. So is that doubling? Yes, technically it is. But let's look at the percentages. You go from 0.003% chance to 0.007% chance. So it's just, it matters how we frame our numbers even when we're throwing statistics Mm -hmm. around. Um, Because both of those are well below, very well below (laughs) 1%. So Um, It's important to always look at stats from uh, various angles. So that means, or you could reframe it even as, okay, at 42 weeks, I still have a (laughs) 99.993%. Is that my doing my math right? (laughs) Chance of having an alive baby. That's still a very high percentage. (laughs) Um, So I just wanted to shine a light on that for a second too. um, So that hopefully can lose a little bit of its fear, I guess. Um, but yeah, so there are those external things and then there's that internal. Oh, go ahead. 
Yeah, go ahead. We can. I think you you hit that. I was just going to say that <laughs> that that study there is really a flawed study, even at that. The way they've counted the numbers mm. is pretty um, ridiculous. <laughs> um, the way they've like basically removed the population the further they went into um, gestation because the thirty seven week uh, babies were not at risk anymore for stillbirth. So they didn't count that full number. So you were looking at a percentage at 37 with a greater population than the percentage we were calculating with at the 42 week mark. So it was like a smaller pool and they used the same, like, so it was like at 37 weeks, this was the risk. And at 42 weeks, this was the risk, but they were literally counting a percentage that was of a smaller pool of people. And so Mm. it like the numbers don't add up that way um so yeah very it's very I didn't like know that background. It's one of those things that you have to you have to read the full research paper and not just draw from the abstract or conclusion um research updates for midwives by gail hart goes really deeply hmm. into um that study and the flaws there so i'll put that in the show notes <laughs> All right. Shall we move into the kind of like internal pressures? This is, yeah. this is kind of where internal my story pressures comes in. are real. Absolutely. You know, yeah. I think that a lot of um, times um, we have the internal pressures of just like whether it's belief systems that we have, you know, that that we're a product of our culture. Like we're all a product of our culture and what we know and hear and see. And so there's that whether it's fears, whether it's just being uncomfortable and ready and just feeling like they need to come or in the, the prodromal, you know, I, I mentioned that in my own story earlier. of just like, I keep going into labor and I keep stopping what's wrong with me. Like what's wrong, you know, and we immediately mm-hmm. go to what's wrong with my body. I must be, I must, I can't birth my baby. Or um, I was yep. told that I can't have my baby unless my waters are broken because that's how all my women, all the women in my family were like my waters have to be broken, which is a form of induction and it carries a lot of risk. Um, but that's what I was always told. You're not going to have your baby unless we break waters because that's how your mom and your aunt, and your great your mom, your grandmother and your great grandmother. And we all had to have our waters broken. And it's like, I had to redo that story, you know? Um, but you have a real, great story on the internal pressures <laughs> and what that felt like um, mm-hmm. to be ready when baby wasn't ready. So you want to share that? Yeah. Yeah. And I'll be upfront and say it's a mildly embarrassing story for me <laughs> because it's an example of when everything that I preach and everything that I said I would never do suddenly became things I was very seriously considering and experimenting with. And so right. that, um, the, the inauthenticity of that is still like painful for me, you know, like, but, um, so it was my, it was actually my fifth baby. Um, my others, I didn't do anything to mess with. Um, granted they all came really close to their due dates. So it wasn't there, you know, I just never really had a real pressure, but this one, um, I'll back it up by saying similar to you, she was conceived at a time I'm not completely sure of because we weren't trying and she was an oops and I wasn't therefore charting religiously. So my attempt to calculate her EDD was based only on my very spotty charting. (laughs) 
And um, so it was largely a guesstimate. And I didn't have an early ultrasound to help with dating. I didn't have a midwife this time. It was just me. Um, so I, I had predicted that her due date, as best as I could tell, was July 7. And she, <laughs> we passed that date. And then we passed 41. And then we passed 42. <laughs> but I think it was, I think it was at 41 and 6. Where, again, I have no midwife. It's just me. I was physically much more uncomfortable in this pregnancy than I ever had been in my others. Um, and I was an emotional wreck. Like I was just so weepy. And I remember, oh, it was like 90 degrees every day. I was hot. I was uncomfortable. I was just so done. I was so confused by why she wasn't coming when all my others had come, you know, like on or very shortly after their due date. So it was mostly just a head game. Like it was mostly just an internal, like physical and mental battleground. Um, and I felt like I was losing and I felt, I remember feeling so guilty, um, because I wasn't able to show up for my other children in like physically or emotionally. I was just like checked out, you know, like I, I was weeping all the time. I was just laying in bed. They were like having the rent of the house and parenting themselves when my husband was at work and I didn't have like any other support. It was during COVID. So I didn't have like people I could call in to help me, um, so I, there was that guilt too, I think, like I'm not mothering well. Um, so all those things. And I heard about the midwives brew and I was like, oh, that looks real good. It was like the apple on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. <laughs> oh, that would solve my problems. <laughs> Epic analogy there. <laughs> I gotta take a bite of that juicy apple. <laughs> I was like eyeing it up for days, you know, like looking up the recipe, like, how do yep. I source these ingredients? Like, I don't, I can't run to the store to get them again. COVID. Where do I, where could I order them? Like, I was like really playing with it in my head, you know? And, um, <laughs> finally, I had actually chatted with a friend who's a midwife. Um, and she, she was like, you know, I wouldn't be afraid to try that. Like, I think you're, you're well past your EDD. Like, why not? So at 41 and six, I finally was like, I'm going to do it. And I felt so sneaky and like, guilty, but I mixed it up, um, at home and drank it in the morning. And it took, it was so hard for me to even swallow it. Like I was like wrestling with myself right up until the moment the cup hit my lips, <laughs> but I did drink it. And then I just kind of went about my day and you know what happened? Nothing, <laughs> nothing at all. <laughs> I didn't even get like loose bowels. In fact, I feel like I got more constipated afterwards. Nothing happened. So like at bedtime, I was like, I'm going to take some more. <laughs> and I put some in ice cream. I wish, shake this time. I wish that I could have, like, I could show everybody the facial expression you just made. <laughs> <laughs> this, like, Maybe we should post a video to, I'm gonna take to YouTube. <laughs> I really I'm did sorry. feel kind of devious, right? Because I was like going against my internal, yeah. like my internal guidance, really, like yeah. out of my desperation. Um, but it kind of at that point, it felt like, well, I've already like done the thing. I might as well do some more. Like, isn't that just how temptation works? Yeah, too? it like, is, right? Yeah. So I took some in an ice cream, like milkshake, and again, nothing. Like literally, nothing happened. Um, 
And so after that, I was like, okay, Brooke, clearly this isn't meant to work right now. Like, I'm not going to keep pushing this. So I pulled the plug on any other. I didn't do anything else after that. And I just decided to wait. Um, And then at 42 and two, (laughs) I called the midwife that we had just done like one or two a la carte prenatals with. And I told her I was struggling. She's like, do you want me to just come by and check you? And I was like, I do. Which, again, I haven't been checked. My cervix hadn't been checked since my first my first birth, like 10 years before, you know? Yeah. Um, so she swung by, and she's like, oh, like, we were gonna, I was open to her stripping my membranes. And she said, there's nothing really here to strip. Like, you are, you're, like, five and stretchy. <laughs> and so she, yeah. She, like, did a little finger sweep, but she said there was nothing really there to sweep. Um, But even that was like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And so for me, the regret comes not so much from, like, having done any damage or harm to my baby or, like, forcing her out because none of it worked. But more just, like, the pain of going against what I actually felt convicted about, that's the part that feels harder to me. Even though I can also grace for myself because I... I look back and I'm like, that was hard. That was really hard. And um, so I get it. Like, I really get it. I think it, it gives you <laughs> the wrestling. Empathy. Yeah. Yeah, so much. So much. It's really hard. Like, the end of pregnancy is hard. It is. <laughs> um, so she ended up being born at 42 and 2, or 42 and 3, sorry. So the day after my, my the midwife had stopped by. Um, but I had even laid off my red raspberry leaf tea. I was like, I'm just going to literally do nothing. I'm just going to lay here and cry and watch stand-up comedy until this baby comes out. That's precisely what I did. So so that's my story. Awesome. Um, and I have to wonder if I had had somebody there kind of in my life who could have like <laughs> just reminded me of what I believed and what I knew was right. Yeah. How might that have gone a little differently? You know, but I was, I was yeah. kind of hiding. I was a little like sneaky about it. So even though I did actually have a couple of great girlfriends who were walking through this pregnancy with me, I don't think I even told them what I was doing. So I guess my, my counseling. Wow. That be, really is a picture of like temptation. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It really is. It sounds like, like I'm flipping into sin and I'm not going to go so far as to yeah. say like attempting right, to right. abuse is a sin. Like I don't actually believe that, but. It was out no, of alignment. But just that emotional with, side of like, this is against my belief system. Yeah. And so like, if I was in that position again, I guess my hope would be that I would have the the honesty and the courage to reach out to somebody who knows me and knows what I really want at my deepest level, like most yeah. authentically, who could just gently remind me of those things, you know, instead mm-hmm. of yeah. kind of going into sneaky, desperate mode. yeah I love that (laughs) I love that you know it actually makes me think I've been talking a lot about um the way of the hearth mother with my students um my midwifery students and just this kind of like the steps of how we move through um intervention of healing like if we you know like we start with prayer like that's number one and then the second is like doing nothing and resting like resting and waiting on the lord and um and you know and it slowly moves through these steps of like absolutely no intervention and the like prayer and trusting in the lord and lining yourself um you know supported 
like nutrition, engaging the body of Christ and community story and like support getting, being supported by your community before you ever get to like a gentle intervention or a forceful intervention or a really invasive intervention. And like, if you, you're, you're describing that, like if you had gone mm-hmm. through the steps wisely, like this rightly ordered way, you would have gotten to like, I need the community of my support. I need to like go to the elders. And I, if there's something wrong, like how, being laid on at hands of prayer, right? Like there's this, this is before we get to midwives brew, right? Like that's the, the, yeah. so like if you're, I, and I bring all that up to say, um, you know, and I might share that order. I'm soon on my Instagram or maybe we'll do a podcast on it. But like, if yeah. we are, if you're in this place of external intervention or internal um, intervention or not intervention pressure, external pressure or internal pressure of like, I need to do something you can walk through those steps of going, do I need to do something and when? Because that's what it, the model really shows you is when do I move and in what order do we move? Like we don't just jump straight to um, pharmaceuticals or straight to C-section because the situation is arising. We use all the steps and we move through them as as the situation requires um, and, and there's these stop gaps that are just naturally like, oh, wait, I haven't even prayed about, oh, wait, I haven't even gone to my prayer community and had them pray over my situation that I'm mm-hmm. finding myself in. Like, are we doing that before we do an herbal intervention or a pharmaceutical intervention? Then we have, like, we're out of order. Like, then we're out of order. So, like, biblically, if there is something to be healed, then we're, we're to go to our um, our elders and laying on of hands and prayer for healing, right? Like we, we should be surrounding ourselves with community and, you know, sharing the story and so much can shift because oftentimes, especially if we're talking about the internal pressures, oftentimes it's just an emotional unrest that needs the peace of the Lord to come and say, this is what you need to do. Mm -hmm. This is what you don't, you know, like, and that might be again, going back to there might be that rare actual medical need, but the peace of the Lord will tell you that, right? Like he will, he will unction you towards where you need to go. And that's where you move in your peace versus the, these pressures. And like, if you're not in a, a a posture of prayer and worship and a posture of um, waiting and resting on the, you know, resting in Sabbath and waiting on the Lord because he heals on the Sabbath, right? Like I believe he heals in the waiting, um, and so that's the, if we're not postured that way, these internal pressures will eat us alive. And that's not, this isn't just a physical event mm-hmm. and we know that. So like, let's address yeah. the emotional, <laughs> let's address the spiritual, let's pray around what God's will is for this labor and this birth and this baby's birthday. Um, because it's, it's all ordered and ordained and he is, he's present. And so he wants to release you from that fear and those stresses. And honestly, that fear and that stress, like I will always answer. If you see me on those, those natural induction, quote unquote, Facebook group posts, you'll see me saying, you need like release the fear and the stress, go do something you enjoy, go find something that you find pleasure in because that actually pulls you into alignment with the the hormonal picture that you need to 
have a baby. Like that's oxytocin is your pleasure yeah. hormone. Melatonin is that rest, right? Like we need those. And so if you're like, I'm doing all the things to get this baby out and they're not coming out and oh my goodness, it's the time is clock is ticking and da 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 da, da and you've got yourself in this heightened state in your frontal cortex, that's not inducive to labor. So you can do all the things, but not your body is like shut down it's not it's not safe to have a yes. baby they're not your body is going i can't have a baby right now i don't know what's happening but there's obviously yep. a war zone out there so we are not letting the baby go the baby is safe here and it's the opposite that, of helpful like just <laughs> exactly it's the opposite of helpful so if you want to quote unquote natural induction the, your natural induction is this your natural induction is <laughs> get into some prayer and worship go sit somewhere quietly go rest go remove the agenda on your docket clear your schedule and and find something you enjoy go have an enjoyment enjoyable time with your husband and i'm not talking about so you can get the prostaglandins of his semen i am saying go enjoy <laughs> your husband go enjoy connect. something in yeah. life connect and if that leads there, great, like amazing. Mm -hmm. But it led there because you were in connection and, it, you know, in pleasure. It's the pleasure that you need to be seeking of go watch some birth videos, go sit in a field of wildflowers and worship, go and, um, you know, enjoy a guilty pleasured meal that you just really, really want to eat. Like what, like go mm -hmm. enjoy yourself and make laugh room with a friend for or joy. Have a deep bath or yes yeah that's your natural induction yeah and i mean Go when i look back enjoy. at it almost all of my labors have started in sleep yeah because <laughs> melatonin like, like your body's finally shut down yeah. enough to be like oh it's safe we can have a baby mm -hmm. so let your external yeah. situation feel safe and let yourself feel rested because that is how your body knows it's okay to let go of that baby now. Because that's when, when you know, like, that's when it's time to have a baby is when the baby comes. <laughs> and I would add, ask for help. Like, that's another thing that I think was missing for me, right? It's like, I, I also yeah. needed some practical help um, so that I could, like, give way to the process and rest. And also, I couldn't walk upright without crying because I had some severe pelvic mm -hmm. girdle pain. So I needed help. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that particular situation, again, it was like the height of lockdowns. So there wasn't anyone who could come. So that made it harder. But now, hopefully we're past that. Don't be mm -hmm. afraid to ask for help. Like if you need somebody to come be with the other kids or give you space to take a nap or a shower or go have a little walk in the woods or sit in a field or sit on your ball and listen to Christian hypnobirthing app, which I really do love their scripture and affirmation tracks. Um, I think community can really help um, pave the way for us feeling safe and cared for enough to let go. Um, Cause yeah, I remember in 2022, it was really difficult because the world just felt so crazy and so scary. And I think a lot of women held their babies in a little longer during that time. Because we were so. all swimming in the cesspool of fear. Right. <laughs> right? Because we were just talking about how you need to feel mm -hmm. safe. And um, it was really hard to pull that off. <laughs> yeah. It so, was. It was yeah. very hard. So it's just so multifaceted because we're multifaceted. And mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. I think I just, it's 
we have to remember your body's not defective. The system might tell you that it is because it baby hasn't come at this estimated due date. Um, but your baby knows when to be born. And there are absolutely some, you know, mechanisms we understand that start labor. Um, but there's still many that we don't like we don't understand truly from a scientific research medical model. We have no concrete. We have a lot of theories that we could back up with some evidence, but we have no idea. It is a mystery still. And so um, that is where we leave it into the hands of our creator. Like there's the understanding of the natural hormones and there's the understanding of the baby's protein. The lungs release a protein when they're, you know, properly developed, send it to the brain and let us know that they're ready. But like, these are just things that we kind of know need to happen, but we don't understand this full picture. Um, But your body is not Mm -hmm. defective. Your body knows how to make your heart keep beating. Your body knows how for your lungs to keep breathing. It knows how to defecate. Like it knows how to digest your food. Like we don't have to teach our body a normal function and our culture doesn't look at birth as a normal function, but it is, or we wouldn't all be here. Like there's the, the, and on a large grand scale, the earth has kept multiplying just fine without all of the more recent in the scale of time, the more recent medical interventions that we have brought online. And it, it, it works. Birth works. And it was designed to. And so your body is not defective. You're not a lemon. You can birth your baby. And so do the physical alignment things. Make sure your body feel is it physically aligned, you know, whether that's chiropractic or the spinning babies or all those things. But if that stuff is causing stress, it's no longer bringing you into yeah. emotional alignment. It's causing a disalignment. Yes. So like, do the things that are physically mm-hmm. supporting and nourishing. And if you can't look at what you're doing and it is a supportive and nourishment, like if I can't say this is supporting me, this is nourishing me, then you probably don't need to be doing it. <laughs> you know, on, on, yeah. on it, that's a black and white statement, but that can be a good measuring stick. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, is this supporting? Is this emotionally, physically, and spiritually supporting and nourishing? Like, is this actually going to move us forward in that? And if it's not, if it's causing you distress, even if it didn't cause your best friend distress, if it's causing you distress, mm-hmm. then, like, just just go back to that natural induction truly is waiting. That natural induction truly is mm-hmm. finding something that is bringing rest and support and nourishment and like a feeling of wholeness and, and joy. That is what, that's how you naturally induce. You get aligned with what is supposed to be happening in your body. Yes. All right. I think maybe we end on that note. I think so. I think that was a good, a good place to wrap up for the day. So you want to pray us out? Sure. Mm. <laughs> Father, we praise you because you have done a good job. <laughs> You've done an excellent job 
that it's like far above our own ability to understand or comprehend or perceive when it comes to all of your creation. Um, and most specifically in this area of giving birth and carrying babies, bringing life into the world. And um, I take so much comfort in knowing that you see all the intricacies and you see our wholeness, mind, body, spirit, and the interconnectedness of all those parts. And that you have, um, you offer us your grace and your presence and your wisdom to every aspect of what's going on in our bodies and minds and spirits as we get closer to meeting our babies. Um, I just pray that you give each of us the um, just an increase in trust, um, an increase in surrender um, when it comes to how we walk through our last days of pregnancy. Um, it is a unique and challenging time, but you know that. You're not surprised by that. So help us to step more fully into all that you have to offer us in that space um, and to trust you in that thin place and in that place of in-between an increasing measure. Um, may we all have the gift also of being able to hear you um, just really clearly and, and trust that if you have things you need to communicate to us that do require intervention, <laughs> um, that we can believe we'll hear you, that you will make that clear to us and we don't have to go fretfully looking for problems. <laughs> so thank you for all that you are to us and the way that you midwife us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, this was a wonderful conversation, um, and I'm looking forward to hearing the feedback of how this supports um, our listeners and having a birth or supporting birth. So I just want to say go in peace and have a holy wild birth. Yes, and amen. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you'll be back and join us every week for each new episode. Please be sure to subscribe and share and get the word out there.